Chigue, an only-way podcast series focusing on current matters in the Mi'kmaq community. Gwe, Akjilasi, Nindelawisi Sean Doak. Hello and welcome. My name is Sean Doak. I'm a proud member of the Lennox Island First Nation and communications officer with Olnaway. Welcome to Jigue. I'm your host, and today my colleague and historian Tammy McDonald will be joining me. November is a time to remember. We take time to remember our veterans across the country. As a way to honor our Mi'kmaq veterans from Epiquit, otherwise known as PEI, we're taking the opportunity to highlight a few stories that have been gathered over the years. Great, Tammy. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Sean. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking. So, Tammy, to begin, uh, how many Mi'kmaq veterans have there been in Epiquit, uh, and which conflicts have they served in? Okay, while the exact number may vary depending on the historian, what does not vary is the fact that the Mi'kmaq had the highest number of um, people serving in both World War I and World War II than any other community on PEI. Now, the most the most interesting thing about this is that all this to fight and die for a country that did not consider them to be citizens. Mm, right. So the Mig the Epiquit Mi'kmaq have proudly served in World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, and Afghanistan armed conflicts, and in times of peace. There's even an oral history of Sosa, a Mi'kmaq from Lennox Island who fought in the American Civil War. That's interesting. I did not know that. It seems pretty clear that their contributions are wide and varied and date back quite a ways. I find it fascinating that the Mi'kmaq communities here had the highest number of people served than any other community in PEI in not just one, but both world wars. And it seems almost surreal that as an indigenous person, you could offer your life in service of Canada and not be recognized or considered a citizen of the very country that you fought for. That is truly mind blowing. Who was Frank Tony and where was he from? I've heard a little bit about Frank Tony. Frank Tony was actually a young man from Lennox Island. And why we found out about him is he actually wrote a letter to the post office in Summerside asking to um, join the army, to, to, help, to help him in some way to join the army. Mm -hmm. So um, this was back in 1918, so it would be World War I. So I'm just going to read you a little bit of his letter. Dear Sir, I am the boy who talked with you at the post office some days ago about enlisting. Please do your best to get me in the army. Probably I'm not fit to go, but I'm willing to lay down my life. I know of nothing wrong with me. So I did some further research on Frank Tony, and it turns out that a couple of weeks after this letter was, was done, he actually enlisted in um, and went through to um, conflict. Wow, so he did end up making it. Frank Tony actually did end up enlisting and serving in World War I. From his letter, he sounds like such a noble and brave person who also sounds like they were quite young at the time. And it sounds also like that person at the post office was maybe able to help him in some sort of way on his journey to join the military. So Lawrence Maloney is another name that I've actually heard a number of times, and I just want to know more about his story, I guess. And, and does this story stand out to you? It really does. And it's, it's a very heartbreaking story. Um, Lawrence Maloney served in World War II and was a POW, a prisoner of war. Mm -hmm. So um, 
we've what we've done over the years is actually conduct interviews with Mi'kmaq elders. And another elder when spe was speaking about Lawrence Maloney, and this is what she said. Well, he always had the same Mi'kmaq laugh too. He didn't talk as much like where I was about the war, other than I did hear him say, though, he'd been a prisoner of war. He was in a concentration camp before, from what I understand, and that was very harsh. Very harsh, but he'd also been a child of the residential schools. And I heard him myself say it one day that the residential schools were at times harder than the concentration camps that he was held in. That is truly insightful and it is heartbreaking, like you said. Is there anything to indicate what life would have been like for returning Mi'kmaq veterans? Or was there any challenges in particular that they might have faced? Well, in reviewing the documents, um, one of the most, one of the ones that crops up an awful lot about Prince Edward Island is um, pensions. There was a lot of issues regarding pensions um, for the veterans as well as the families of the fallen. So the reason why that was an issue is the Indian Act actually gave the Department of Indian Affairs permission to see that the veterans' pensions money were spent, and I quote, properly and also to control and administer them accordingly. Also in World War I was the, the War Veterans Allowance Act, and um, no Indigenous person was actually eligible to receive that. So that was a, a sum of money that veterans would have received, but Indigenous veterans didn't have access to that? They were, yeah, they did not have access to it. Wow. Um, and in World War II, if the soldier was absent from the reserve for four years, they were actually no longer considered, and this is a direct quote, Indian under the Indian Act. Oh my, that is interesting how one could lose status by serving one's country. Another one was the Soldier Settlement Act, and it actually did not pertain to those Indigenous veterans who lived on reserve. The Settlement Act was a sum of money for um, a soldier to purchase land or housing. But if a soldier was from a reserve or had lived on a reserve, they, they had no access to that as well? No, they had no access to that funds. So it sounds like life was quite hard for, for Indigenous veterans coming and returning from war. Yes, yes it was. Was there any, were there any female uh, Mi'kmaq veterans that, that had served? Well, our research has uncovered two female Mi'kmaq veterans, um, Rachel and Blance Thomas, sisters, who were actually daughters of Michael Thomas, the long-distance Mi'kmaq runner. Oh. They both served in World War II. Mm -hmm. Joe Labobe is someone else I've also heard about. What do you know about him? Okay, Joe Labobe was a veteran of the Korean War. Mm -hmm. We had, we had access to an interview that was done with him back in the 1990s, and he said something very interesting of one of his encounters. Okay. Um, here's his, his, here it is in his words. Although I didn't get to Korea, I served in training and preparing many who did, then transferred to the Black Watch Highlanders in Jasper, Alberta. While in Jasper, I met a person who most people knew or heard of her. Her name was Marilyn Monroe. She was doing the movie River of No Return. 
She happened to be walking with her film director and we were in a pub for a cold one when we heard a commotion outside and we waved to her and she came in and her director bought drinks for us. So he met, he actually met Marilyn Monroe. He met and had drinks with Marilyn Monroe, yes. Marilyn Monroe, wow. I did not have any idea that that was a story that would come from a Mi'kmaq veteran uh, from Prince Edward Island. Are there any other stories about Epiquit Mi'kmaq veterans that resonate with you or come to mind? Well, um, there's one, actually there's, there's many, but um, for one, um, there was an interview done with Joe Francis, who's a veteran of the Vietnam War. And um, when the interview had asked, what motivated you to keep going? Mm -hmm. Joseph replied, I joined, I volunteered and I didn't get drafted. I wasn't told I had to go and it's something I've wanted to do and I did it and I'm proud of my service. I'm proud of what I've done and I saved some lives over there. And to me, I done a good job as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's also uh, the story of Matthew Bernard. Yeah, I would love to hear the story of Matthew Bernard. That, which is actually, it's actually quite funny. <laughs> um, Matthew Bernard was in the First World War, a uh, veteran of the First World War. And um, according to someone who was being interviewed about him, Joe Tuplin, another um, veteran of the First World War, um, he mentioned that Matthew Bernard was kind of a joker. So um, what Joe, uh, Joe Tuplin shared was a story about how he came to this conclusion. <laughs> I would so, love to hear it. Okay, Matthew Bernard, and this is a direct, this is uh, in Joe Tuplin's words. Matthew Bernard was in our unit and he was always a kind of a joker. He had a good sense of humor. Mr. Bernard, who spoke very little English, was on guard duty one night and refused to salute an officer. The officer was quite annoyed, as you can possibly imagine, and decided to pursue this breach of military courtesy. So they took um, Matthew before the commanding officer and uh, Mr. Bernard asked um, Joe Tuplin to act as an interpreter. And he told, and the direct quote was, he told me in Indian that he was confused thinking that the officer was in the Salvation Army and not in the regular army at all. <laughs> That's funny. That's interesting because they do, they do have uniforms in the Salvation Army, do they or no? Yes, they do. They and do. it is kind of similar, but not. Anyway, they don't, he doesn't go on to say, Mr. Tuplin doesn't go on to say what happened after this, but I can possibly imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Being ex-military myself, I can imagine what probably happened. So how can, how can people learn more about the history of Mi'kmaq veterans? We've been working on collecting information on Epigood Mi'kmaq veterans for the past 10 years, you know, bit by bit. And eventually we hope to be able to share what we've learned. We've done, um, we've participated in uh, the social media campaign that just, that is just going to be finished soon um, for the veterans stories. And we've also had some exhibits, but one of my goals and ideas is that we may 
somebody may be interested in writing a book or have them available in an archive somewhere. Yeah, that would be very accessible for anybody really who, who wants to learn more, it sounds like. Is there anything else that we should talk about today, Tammy? While I work and have been working for over 15 years with both the Mi'kmaq Confederacy of PEI and all the way, and ultimately the PEI Mi'kmaq First Nations as a historian, I'm not Indigenous. I am an historian with Indigenous knowledge. And it's important to share that Indigenous knowledge, I think, and I'm, I'm so glad that you do. Thank you very much for your time today, Tammy. I really appreciate it. I learned quite a bit about some of our Mi'kmaq veterans from Epiquit, from Prince Edward Island today, um, some of which I know I'm related to. My grandmother was talking to me about it the other day. I think it's, it's absolutely important that we take time to honor all veterans, but our Mi'kmaq veterans as well. And I'm glad that I could have you on to speak today, Tammy. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I really enjoyed sharing what I've learned. Thanks again. And Wilalio, thank you to those who are listening. While these are just a few stories, we know there are many more. If you have a story, information, or photos of Mi'kmaq veterans from Epiquit that you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear from you so we can continue to gather, better understand, and honor their contributions. You can email info at onaway.ca or message us on social media. Stay tuned for our next episode. Msit Nogama, all my relations. To find out more about Ulnui and the Mi'kmaq rights reconciliation process, visit ulnui.ca.